start by sitting down. We've been having a, a nice relaxed, I don't know if I should call it relaxed, but the last two weeks Dylan's sat for a moment and he's taken us through the story of Benjamin and I loved how he did that in a posture of sitting as we began to listen to stories that showed us Jesus in the Bible. It's been beautiful and so I wanted to start in the same way. Mine just looks a little prettier. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day from me to you. I know that for some today is incredibly difficult. And I just want you to know, he knows. He knows, he knows, he knows. And so just come as you are in this place today. Be yourself. Be in this moment. Don't run from your feelings. Allow God to minister to the very depth of yourself this morning. And I promise you, he will come through for you because he's faithful and true and just. Amen. And I really do pray that today, no matter where you find yourself in your life, it's just one where you feel celebrated and seen and known. That is our heart here at Link, that, that, is, that, you, would, that you would know that you are seen and known by the one true God. Amen? Amen. And so I wanted to take us on a little journey this morning. It's not, you know, new news to you that this has been an unlikely and unpredictable year for our family. It started off pretty rocky. And so as you do when things are difficult, you, you adopt coping mechanisms, right? Is it just me? Anyway, so, and some of them can be healthy. Some of these things that we do to cope and take ourselves through difficult moments in our lives can be healthy and others not so healthy. And so we need to be aware of that, always making sure that we exercise wisdom as we journey through difficult seasons. But one of the things I've been doing, and I wish I could say that I did it every day, I don't, life can some, sometimes seem a bit crazy, but is this practice that a friend of mine from Australia, she's ministered to our Tea with Chess crew, um, her name is Nat Taylor, and she went through a difficult season a few years back, and she adopted this practice called Tea for Two. And what she would do and what I have been doing in this season is when I feel like I need to be with my father, I need to talk about some things, I need to ask him some questions, I need to share with him what's going on in my heart because as much as human beings are wonderful and we try to understand, we are limited in our view and understanding and he can see all things and so I need his perspective in the season. And so what I'll do is I'll make tea for two. One for me and one for my Father in heaven who sits with me as I begin to journey through some of these things. And it's been quite a therapeutic process and wonderful to be able to feel like he's with me, perhaps not tangibly, but it's just a practice that I put in place to help me in this moment. And then recently I discovered these very beautiful cups, right? They're beautiful. They are... <laughs> They are called Kintsukuroi cups. I know, right? Kintsukuroi. It's a Japanese word that means to mend with gold. And I found them and I've been reading through the philosophy of Kintsukuroi or Kintsugi, whichever you like to call it. If there's any Japanese people watching online and I am saying this wrong, I just want to apologize. I do not have Japanese in my linguistic package. But they're kintsukuroi cups, and what the Japanese believe is that nothing should be left broken. 
everything deserves the privilege of being mended. And we don't want to take something that's been broken, an object, for example, and, and use a clear glue to put it back to its former self. We, they use a gold powder and they put it in a clear sap. And so what happens is you get in something new from something broken, and it's more beautiful and stronger in the end. And so what I've been doing with these cups is I've been reminding myself that I may be broken right now. And perhaps you are broken in a season, perhaps feeling like you're walking through brokenness and it's real and it's okay. But I want you to know that there is a thread of golden grace that runs through the brokenness of humanity over time. And it's gifted to us by Jesus Christ and he leaves nothing broken. He's in the business of making things whole. I believe he's a kinsukuroi kind of savior. And so as I carry on with, oh, I had these. This is what it looks like to be broken. It's terrible. But this is what Jesus does. Puts us back together. And we look more beautiful and whole in the end. Amen. I actually wanted to gift this to you, Tash. Because you know what? Sometimes we just need very loud reminders that God sees and knows. He knows, he knows, he knows, he knows. Okay. Amen. I promised myself I was not going to cry all day today, so I'm not. And so as I've been sitting in these moments with my father, I've been saying to him, tell me a story. Show me the stories. Tell me the stories, God. And, you know, Joel, he has, it's actually more of a procrastination tactic at bedtime. It's really not because I'm that good, but um, he's got this new thing where every night he comes and he says, Mommy, tell me a story. What's the story tonight, Mom? Is it story time yet? And it's like literally happens at bedtime because he knows that prolongs the process, right? But I do love to tell my children stories. I love to expose them to all sorts of literature. Some they don't love so much and some they really, really like. And I've taken this approach in these tea, uh, tea for two moments with my father. Tell me a story, Father. Show me that golden thread of grace that runs through the brokenness of humanity through the ages. Tell me the story of Jesus and help me to see how the gospel began in the Garden of Eden and has culminated at the cross and then is finished in victory and revelation. Tell me the story. Show me how it all works together and where I fit in. There's a golden thread of grace and a gospel narrative that runs throughout these scriptures. And the stories we read, like Benjamin, amazing two weeks of discovering this, this incredible story in, in the Bible of Benjamin and the story of Ruth and Gideon, they all point to a Jesus way. They were all a shadow of the Christ to come. And so everything that you read, it has a point and it has a purpose. It's not just an isolated historical text that we're supposed to read to make us feel more intelligent. No, it's actually pointing us to the one who would come that would be greater than anyone before him, who would finish it all, settle the score, pay our debt in full. And these stories are a picture of the gospel, all of them. They're a picture of the unfolding gospel of grace, of what Jesus would accomplish for us. And so when you read these stories, you need to see that. And know that the gospel it does so much for our lives. There are many things that the gospel achieves for us. It does all the work. 
But I want to look at two things today. The gospel restores beauty and recovers identity. Restores beauty and recovers identity. And I just want to say, when I say the word beauty, I know what you're thinking. You are thinking the next swimwear edition Sports Illustrated. I know. Or you're thinking GQ cover model. I don't know. I don't buy magazines anymore. I, I'm probably too old. I don't know. But that's what you're thinking with beauty, right? That catwalk model or that person that has all the things in all the right places. That is not the beauty I'm talking about. I'm talking about the innate beauty of the soul that was deposited into us by a creator God. When you look at the mountains and when you look at the ocean and when you take in his creation, something in you sighs at the immense beauty of it. That is the beauty I'm talking about that is found within the human soul that's deposited into our lives and gifted to us by the gospel of grace. That beauty. So it restores beauty, it recovers identity. And we're going to be looking at the story of David and Abigail. A story of a woman that recovers beauty and restores identity to David in a very difficult season of his life. And so if you have your Bible, you have your Bible, you should bring them. Then you, then you know that I'm not making it up. <laughs> All right. 1 Samuel 25, 1 to 3. We're going to go on a little journey. I'm going to hop around. I'm going to help you see some things and what it means for your life. And then we're going to pray. And I believe you're going to walk out here different. Something in you is going to shift as you catch something this morning. Amen. And so, Jesus, I thank you that nothing, no word that comes from your word can return void. It must accomplish what it was set forth to do. And so I pray that in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, would you come and sow seeds in this place today. Amen. Then Samuel died and the Israelites, Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness. Say wilderness. wilderness. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel and that man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. Okay, so we've got a little introduction to the story. I want to talk to you a little bit about the wilderness. When you read about the wilderness in, within Scripture, you can often just think it's a place. And it is. It has geographic, geographical location attached to it, but it's also an uncharted season or space and time. It's wild, a sacred moment. It's deeply spiritual. And in the wilderness, for, the, for a lot of the men within Scripture or the people that were taken into the wilderness, their senses are heightened. We see and hear more clearly. We're much more sharp in the wilderness, more aware. Eugene Peterson says, there are things seen, heard, and experienced in the wilderness that can be seen, heard, and experienced nowhere else. So, so we're going to see that, yes, David is taken to a desert-like place, but this is actually a season, a wilderness season within, its li within his life. And, you know, none of us would choose to go to a desert for an, a long time. I don't know about you. I personally would not choose to go and live in the desert for a long time. Am I the only one? I know deserts are very beautiful. I love the crew. It's somewhere where we go to often. And maybe you've been to like Namibia or some of those places. It's very beautiful, but not necessarily somewhere you want to like live, like make your home forever. And that's because the conditions are quite harsh. It's hot. 
or it's extremely cold. There's wild animals that can eat you. And there's this thing called water supply issue. And we all know what that's been like in this last season. It's not easy, right? Yeah. Okay, so no one really chooses to go to a physical desert, and I want to say a, a season of wilderness is the same. None of us are choosing to go to go into or move into a season of being in a wilderness type space. But God leads us into spaces and places and time where we are beckoned to loosen our grip and surrender our control, to deal with God and to deal with ourselves. It's by his kindness that he does this. And he's led David through circumstance into the wilderness. And David's, this is David right now. He's running for his life. He's been anointed as king. So he knows he has a great destiny, but actually he's running for his life because the current king is trying to kill him. And now he finds himself with just 400 men in a desert and he's tired. He's hiding from Saul, but he's dealing with God and himself. And as he deals with God, you will see in the scriptures, he becomes more human. He becomes more David. And I love how Nancy Newhall says, the wilderness holds answers to the question man has not yet learned to ask. Because life, let's be honest, is full and busy, and we often want to shy away or hide away from some of the things that, some of the questions that would, we should ask to move into the fuller and greater purposes that we were destined for, amen? These seasons in the wilderness are seasons where we get to choose to face God and choose to face ourselves. And so David is in the thick of it, and if you read the stories, it seems that he's weary, he's somewhat broken, and in his responses, that we can, we can see that he's become quite full of himself and almost void of God. And it's here, in this very space, that David meets Nabal, which his name actually means foolishness. Imagine having that as the meaning of your name. And Abigail, who the Bible tells us is beautiful and wise. Okay, it's a very long story, so I'm going to summarize, and I'm going to take you back to the end to help you see something very profound. So in the wilderness, in these biblical times, <laughs> I can see my daughter laughing at me, and then I wonder why. No, okay. Anyway, <laughs> in the wilderness, there are opportunities to trade, okay, because you might need something and there's not really much there. And so you, they would choose to serve someone so that they would know later on along the way that person would owe them and then they'd need to make it right. And so that's what David has done. David and his 400 men have protected the shepherds and the servants of Nabal as they've been taking the sheep out into the wilderness. And, and um, Nabal's servants even describe David's men as a wall of protection. That's how, how well they did, they did this job. And so as David is traveling on in the wilderness, he comes to Nabal's area of living. I feel like I'm losing all my words. He comes to his space where he lives, and it's sheep shearing season. And he knows that there's food and drink will be plentiful, and there'll be lots of celebration. So he sends his men, he says, go to Nabal and tell them that I did something good for your men. So please, can we have some food and some drink? Unfortunately, Nabal being the foolish man that he is, he says to the men, absolutely not. I owe you nothing. And go back and tell your leader that he is not someone that I want to ever encounter or do life with in any form. So he insults David. When the men come back with the story, David is mad. 
He is furious. He is so he is so frustrated and so angry that he makes a vow to annihilate the entirety of Nabal's family. So this is what's happening. And so what happens is Abigail hears of this, that David, David is now coming to kill her whole family because her husband basically couldn't give anyone some food. And she immediately, the Bible says, she, has, she gets up with haste. And she begins to prepare a gift and goes out to meet David to beg for forgiveness on behalf of her family and sway him towards mercy. Okay, so now we need to pick up on the story. Right, we're going to read from verse 23. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before him and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord, no, I've lost. please let not my Lord regard the scoundrel Nabal as her husband. For as his name is, I always find the Bible so funny. For as his name is, so is he. She's basically saying his name means foolishness and he is also foolish. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow you. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. And evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you. She's speaking of Saul and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out, sling out as from the pocket of a sling. Such a clever girl. Using all the things that she knows about him in a beautiful way to capture his attention. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be of no grief to you. She's basically saying, David, you have a destiny to become king. It's already in play. Don't do something silly now that's going to impact your future. Think about what you're doing. She's reminding him of who he is and what his destiny looks like and that his right now could affect that. So he needs to just calm down. Then David said to Abigail, I'm reading from verse 32, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you to this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice. And blessed are you because you've kept me from, from coming to bloodshed, from avenging myself with my own hand. And he carries on blessing her. I'm going to quicken it for time. He ends off by saying, go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. Amen. So what exactly does Abigail do? She acts quickly. She prepares a gift. She goes out to him, she serves him, she reminds him of who he is. Beautiful Abigail restores beauty to David and recovers his identity for him. So let's look at this idea of restoring beauty. The story shows us that that is what, the, that is what happens when we encounter beauty. But I want to say to you when, you, when you hear what I'm, what I'm saying this morning, it's Jesus who restores beauty to us. 
As David faces Nabal, Nabal, foolishness and vulgarity, he's provoked, and in turn, he displays what? Foolish behavior. Have you ever been in the company of unhelpful behavior, and it really makes you unhappy or mad, and then somehow, strangely, you find yourself acting in the same way? I'm going to help you. Home affairs. <laughs> Licensing department. Spouse coming home grumpy. Colleague with a poor attitude. Can you see what I'm saying? I know it's uncomfortable, so I'm going to help you. I'm going to take it away from us. I'm going to talk about our children. Let's look at our kids. Every day. She did this to me. So that's why I did the same thing to her. But we're talking about David here, people. He's unfazed by people around him. It talks about him being a man after God's own heart. He is a worshiper. He is so faithful to the word of God. And yet, when he encounters the behavior of Nabal, he completely loses the plot, becomes vengeful, furious, not so unlike the very soul he's running from. But Abigail goes to him, beautiful Abigail, and in her expert wisdom, she shows him beauty through her humility, through her generosity, and through her service. He sees beautiful Abigail, and in his seeing, beauty is restored to him. There are times in life where we will find ourselves in difficult circumstances, wilderness seasons. Perhaps you feel like that is somewhere where you are right now. And in these spaces, there is a danger of becoming a version of ourselves that's not so pretty. And it's only when we encounter Jesus and we see beauty in him that we can see and embrace the true beauty that lies in us. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 4, it says the branch of the Lord, it's talking about Jesus, is beautiful and glorious. And we know that when we look at him, when we gaze upon him, we become like him. Jesus is beautiful. And when we dwell in his presence, beauty is restored to us. I don't know about you, but the world, I don't know if you know this, but the world is decaying. It's wasting away. And, you know, it was never designed to, to go on forever. Life ends and things self-destruct over time. And so it's essential, it's essential that amidst this reality that we choose and learn to connect our hearts to beauty, to connect ourselves to Jesus. In Luke 24, there's a beautiful story, I don't know if you've read it, where Jesus has now cut, he's risen from the dead, and now he's come back, and he meets this couple walking along a road, it's called the Emmaus Road, and they're walking, and he can see that they're hurting, that they're struggling, they're confused, their friend and their teacher and their rabbi is gone, and they don't know what this means for the future, and so he comes alongside them, and he says these words to them in this space, he says to, he begins, it says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded, he revealed to them in all the scriptures, all the things concerning himself. He doesn't tell them, oh, it's going to be okay, don't worry, it'll get better, he takes them on a journey and he shows them himself 
all the way through Scripture. He reveals to them his heart, who he is, and what his, what his life was intended for. He reveals to them the beauty of who he is. And their response, I love it, it says here, in Luke 24, it says, this is their response. Did our hearts not burn within while, we talked us to, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened scriptures to us? You know, when our hearts are connected to him, they burn. Perhaps you're feeling a little numb in this season, like you don't, no, nothing's making you feel alive because it's just been hard. I want to encourage you, connect your heart to him. Go after him. Your heart will burn. It will burn with a love for him and it will burn with a love for people and it will feel effortless because it's not out of your own human striving. It's from him. You do not have to go in on a, um, a, an extreme search for the beauty of Jesus. It's not difficult. It's, he's not lost. You don't have to have a Bible degree and work your way to finding this beautiful Jesus for yourself. Seeing the beauty of Jesus, let me tell you, it's, it's not a test that you need to pass. Galatians 1 tells us how beautiful is this. It pleased God to reveal his son in me. It is God's greatest pleasure to reveal the son in his sons and daughters here on earth. The beauty of Jesus, friends, it's within Scripture. It's all around us. We just need to open our eyes. Young girls, I don't know if any of you are sitting in here today. I just want to say to you, you do not need some guy to tell you that you are beautiful. You need Jesus. You need to look at yourself through the lens of Jesus. We do not need to subscribe to a ridiculous and unattainable standard of beauty set by the media. We need to look at ourselves through the lens of Jesus. We can get tripped up, friends. We can get tri tripped up. And I can tell you, let me, I don't know if you know this, it's quite hard in Belito, if you live here, to not feel perhaps like there's a standard of beauty that we need to subscribe to. It's part of the culture here, and it's, it's okay, it is what it is, but we need to see ourselves through the lens of Jesus Christ. See his beauty in the scriptures, see it in his sacrifice, see it in his creation, see it in other people, and see it in ourselves. Okay, let's talk about recovering identity. I want to head back to the story. So basically what happens is that David, in this, David is at the end of his rope. That's why he cracks with Nabal, because he's just frustrated and tired, and he's been in the wilderness and it's hard. Perhaps you can relate to that. It's just felt like one thing after another. Hardship after hardship after hardship. A long season of COVID. A lot of unknowns. Too much unpredictability. There has been grief of every kind. I can, I'm sure of it. You, if you're sitting in this room today and you are a human being, you've lost something or you've lost someone. And it's hard. There's disappointment and fear. We've had riots and floods. It's, it's been a lot. Am I the only one who feels like that? And for many of us, honestly, I want to set you free today. You're not struggling because you're foolish. We've just lost sight of who we are, perhaps. And Abigail's wisdom tells her that David's not foolish. That's not who he is. He's just acting out. He's lost his courage and his identity has been lost amidst his circumstances and his fatigue. And so she humbles herself. She doesn't shout at him and tell him what to do. 
she humbles herself. She serves him. She goes above and beyond. She lends him her strength. She reminds him of who he is. And she says to him, it's in the Bible, she says to him, David, you fight the battles of the Lord. Why are you wasting your energy spending time going after Nabal? He's small for her. You're, you're a warrior for the Lord. Fix your eyes on who you've been called to be. You are God's anointed. You're the future king. Your house will endure. You're the protected one. She says to him, your life is bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. What is she saying? You are so connected to God, you are not going to be able to make a poor decision because you're David. God's got you, David. You're connected to him. She affirms what he's done. She speaks about Goliath, talks about a sling. She reminds him, remember that time where through your faithfulness and servant-heartedness, you took out a giant and you saved the whole of Israel. She, she calls him to stay the path. Don't jeopardize your future and your calling by going after something small and irritating right now just to prove yourself right. Stay the path. You know what she does? Abigail witnesses to David about his life. How does she do that with humility and encouragement? There are times, friends, in humility, we need to witness to other people about their lives. Dylan, this is who you are. This is who you are. You are called to be a visionary and lead this church. You are called to shape a narrative in this nation of hope and truth and life. Look at what you've done. Look, Dill, look at what you've done. You built this church. And I know there were other people that helped along the way, but you know what? I've got drawings of this very building scribbled on pieces of paper in my journal that he used to draw at night when he was supposed to be talking to me. You built this church. You had a vision for this church. You had a vision to see people here 24-7. You know what? I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. And here we are weekly people coming here and I'm like how did you find out about us like no I, w I work here that's amazing the church is a 24 7 thing now here at Link Church he dreamt that you built that this is who you are this is what you've done we witness to people about their lives and that places courage in their hearts and that gives them what they need to carry on to go on I want to speak to the men today. The world is telling you that we don't need you. It's a narrative out there. You don't need men. You messed it up for us or whatever. I don't know what all the words, but it's there. I want to categorically tell you, unapologetically, that the world is crying out for courageous men. And I will not sit back and watch men demasculinated around me because women feel like they, they need to feel powerful. We do not need to break men down to find our place in society in Jesus' name, amen? So can I speak to you men? Can I put courage into you? I don't even know how to do that half the time. But I would love to take a moment at some point 
And perhaps if you have a, ma- a man in your life, you can do that today. Look them in the eyes and remind them of who they are. Remind them of who God has called them to be. He has called them to lead. There is a design that works. And the world is crying out for men, not men who are opinionated and want to control everything just because that makes them feel strong. No, courageous men who are willing to humble themselves at times to say, no, actually, I think you're better for the job. You don't look like me, sound like me, do anything the same as me, but actually, you're really good at that. Courageous men who will stand up for the marginalized, who will put themselves on a limb again for those around them because they know that God has entrusted something big and glorious for their lives. And so can I speak to you, women? We give our voices to a lot of things, like a lot of things, all the talking. Could I ask you, to give your voices to restoring the beauty and recovering the identity of the men in our world. And I don't actually have all the answers or solutions for that. And perhaps there is hurt and pain in your life surrounding a man. Can I say one man is not all men? I believe if you look at scripture, there is a mandate and mission in the heart of a woman to lend strength and encouragement and beauty and wisdom to the men around us. It's a God gift. It's anointed. And we have full access to that through the power of Jesus Christ. And I believe we could literally change our nation by doing just that. Amen? At the core of the gospel is, this, is the power to recover our identity through Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus, when you truly see him and we find our true position in him, beauty is restored and identity is recovered. It has to happen. I want to read to you from Ephesians 1 and a message paraphrase, and then I'm going to close. Perhaps close your eyes. I want to to speak this over you, read it over you. How blessed is God? And what a blessing He is. He is the Father of our Master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in Him. Long before He laid down earth's foundations, He had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of His love to be made whole and holy by His love. Long, long ago, He decided to adopt us into His family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure He took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of His lavish gift giving by the hand of His beloved Son. I'm gonna jump to verse 11. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. It's not through all the self-help stuff out there. It can be helpful to do the tests and the courses and and get some self-awareness. Can I just say, self-awareness would be a little bit helpful right now on the earth. Ask the question, what's it like to be on the other side of me? 
But that's not what Scripture tells us in its entirety. It says it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Jesus, the Word made flesh. He had His eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose He is working out in everything and everyone. Friends, it is impossible to sit in the presence of Jesus Christ and and remain the same. Look at Him. Right now, even as you sit perhaps with your eyes closed, picture Him. I love this story because in essence, it shows us so masterfully the gospel message as Abigail stands between foolishness and the wrath of God, the consequence of sin. That's our Jesus, the one who came between, who made things right for us with our Father. Abigail came as an intercessor, an advocate for truth. And in the end, David, the one who's gonna, who paved the way for the true Messiah, is restored to who he was meant to be and chooses to walk away from Nabal and trust God to come through for him. I want to say to you this morning, why don't you stand? We're going to pray. You may be broken. You may feel broken. Perhaps like me, you find yourself in a wilderness season. I want to say to you, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart because you have hope today. You have hope in a kintsukuroi kind of savior who's in the business of making things whole again. And when we, walk through biz, when we walk through brokenness, we come through on the other side, stronger, more beautiful than ever before.